are going to have a membership class, membership class next week, our Life at Lakeside class. And I was just thinking about this, anticipating this class, and, and maybe more than normal because we had to postpone it last fall because I was teaching this other class on, on, on counseling and, and discipling. And so uh, we've kind of left some of you hanging on the runway there. You've been waiting for a long time to take off here, and uh, we've kind of said, hold on, hold on, hold on. And uh, so I know you're really excited about this class starting next week, and, uh, and, but I also know there's a number of you who maybe, uh, you know, it's not even on your radar, and, and it should be on your radar. Uh, and I want to tell you why uh, it should be on your radar. Um, I think most people that have attended this this. Uh, what we call our membership class, Life at Lakeside class. Uh, really, you don't have to become a member just because you go to this class. It's really an opportunity to get to know our church, uh, get to know me, and we get to know each other. Uh, and if you want to join when it's all over with, that's great. But uh, we don't put any pressure on people uh, to do that. But uh, I found that most people that go through this class uh, have never experienced a membership process quite like it before. And, uh, you know, they've, they've never had to fill out an application, you know, and sign it. And, uh, and, and write out their testimony and read a book and, and uh, fill out a spiritual gift survey and, and, uh, and where they're going to serve in the church and all these kinds of things and are, seem to be fairly new to most people that go through the class. And, and most people will admit that, that all they had to do at the last church they were at was just kind of go down front at the end of the service and whisper in the pastor's ear, hey, I want to become a member. Pastor spins them around and says, ladies and gentlemen, I want to introduce to you this couple and you know, they're going to become members of our church. And and, and I don't know, I've been to churches where that's happened, and it just, like, freaks me out. Uh, gives me the willies, like, whoa, does anybody talk to these people? Does anybody know these people? Obviously, I'm sure there's some churches that kind of behind the scenes have, have, have done all that, and this is just more the final formal uh, finale of the process. But uh, what concerns me is that oftentimes that churches end up having more people on the membership roles than they have in the church on Sunday morning. That's all too common in the church today. You ask a pastor, well, how many people, how many people uh, what's your membership? Oh, we've got 1,000 people. And they only got maybe like 550, 600 people coming on a Sunday morning. You're like, okay, where's the other 400? See, my goal is to, to do the exact opposite, that, that no matter how much we grow, that our weekly attendance will always be greater than our membership. And people ask me all the time, oh, well, how many members do you have? I don't know. To be honest, I don't know. I'd have to go in the file and like count it all up and stuff like that. But all I know is who comes on a regular basis on Sundays and Wednesdays. I can tell you that because I think that's more the true test of what's going on in your church than how many people are on your rolls, right? At the same time, I, 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 we want to we encourage people who regularly attend this church to, to become official members. And so we, we periodically give people an opportunity to do that through this class. And, and so when it comes to church membership, we want to have a balanced perspective. We don't want to overemphasize it, nor do we want to underemphasize it either. And I think it, it, it's probably, if anything, underemphasized in most churches. And it seems like a lot of Christians today have a, have a hard time committing themselves to one church. And they main, maintain this loose affiliation with, with several different churches, and they hop from church to church, depending on uh, who's speaking or what event is taking place. And if they do attend at one church, they're content to kind of be casually committed to that church and never vitally connected to it. And consequently, they, they miss out on all the benefits and the blessings of being a committed member of a local church. That's why I love the fact that we have all of our 
new members uh, who go through this class, they, they, they are in the process. If you are signed up for that class, you should be reading uh, this little book by Joshua Harris called Stop Dating the Church. Uh, he's the one who wrote I Kiss Dating Goodbye. It's kind of a play on words, his original book. So it's Stop Dating the Church. And it's, it's a perfect title. There's so many people out there who are just kind of dating the church, kind of a casual, non-committal kind of relationship with the church. And he's like, hey, stop. Stop dating the church. Marry her. That's the point of his book. And uh, how do you make sure you're marrying the right church? And he goes, out, goes on and he outlines the things to look for in a good church. Well, Spurgeon, he always uh, is a good example and he was a Baptist, Jose, just so you know. So there's definitely something to say for Spurgeon being a Baptist, right? But uh, Spurgeon said this about his commitment to join the church. He said, quote, I remember how I joined the church after my conversion. I forced myself into it by telling the minister who was lax and slow after I had called four or five times and could not see him that I had done my duty and if he did not see me, I would call a church meeting myself and tell them I believed in Christ and ask them if they would have me. <laughs> Typical Spurgeon. And so even as a brand new believer, Spurgeon understood the importance of being committed to the church, and he felt the necessity of becoming a, an official member of a local body of believers. And I think he stands in stark contrast to, to a growing number of professing Christians who, who, who don't feel like they even have to go to church, let alone join the church. Now, how many times have you heard someone say, well, you know, you've invited them to church, they say, well, no, I, I don't need to go to church. I, I think you can go to church anywhere, right? I, I, I go to church in my deer stand, right? Or I go to church out in my boat on the lake, or I go to church here and there. In fact, I had a conversation with the lady who did this spiky thing to my hair, the hairdresser and, and, uh, and, and at Sports Clips, just so you know, I didn't go to one of those girly places, okay? I went to Sports Clips, all right? Manly place to go. So anyway, I'm, I'm done talking to her, and I said, hey, listen, I said, you know, I'd love to have you come to our church sometime, and she says, well, I work on Sunday, and I said, well, you know, you really need to change that schedule around so you can give the Lord his day, and she just said, you know, the Lord is, is right here, and we have our times together, you know, and I'm like, you don't get it. You don't get the church. There's a reason why God ordained this thing right here, the local body of believers, and it really begs the question, in my mind, is it possible to be a Christian and not go to church? Don't answer that, because we'll start a fight here this morning, probably. But, it's, but think about it. It's a rhetorical question. Is it, is it possible to be a Christian and not go to church? Well, hopefully the first thing you think about is maybe someone who's uh, laid up in a hospital or an invalid or someone who can't get out and they can't attend church. And so what are you saying? They're not a Christian? Well, obviously not, okay? I'm talking about the normal, healthy person that makes a choice not to come to church. That's who I'm talking about. And so is it possible to be a Christian and not go to church? Well, my answer is yes. I think it's possible to be a Christian and not go to church, but not be a very good one. In other words, if you, if you don't go to church, you're not going to be a very good Christian. See, most people say it the other way. They say, you know what? You're not a very good Christian because you don't go to church, Right? Because if you were a good Christian, you go to church. Well, I would say, listen, the fact that you don't go to church is a reason why you're not a good Christian. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? The church is vital to our growth and development as believers. Now, nowhere does it say in the Bible, thou shalt be a member of a local church. You can't find that in Scripture. So stop looking, okay? It's not there. 
But I would say this, that the scripture does make it abundantly clear that every Christian should be a member of a local church. And the New Testament suggests many reasons for officially joining a local body of believers. And I want to show you this morning just uh, what I would consider to be 10 reasons why every Christian should be a member of a local church. And this is really all, all these 10 reasons are by implication, okay? Again, there's no direct thou shalt go uh, kind of, uh, or thou shalt join. It does say thou shalt go, but it doesn't say thou shalt join a, a church. And so I want you to just think with me about these implications, these 10 reasons why every Christian should be a member of a local church. Now, again, what's my point here? Uh, probably most of you sitting here are already members of this church. So I'm preaching to the choir, I guess not to the choir. We don't have one of those. Uh, but we do have a church, right? So I'm preaching to the church. Well, why am I preaching this message? Well, hopefully this will, this will just stir you up by way of reminder about how cool this church thing is. Not Lakeside Bible Church, per se, but the church of Jesus Christ. And what a blessing it is that we have this as part of our lives as believers, that God didn't leave us to ourselves to learn to live for Christ alone, but he gave us one another to enjoy and to fellowship and to encourage and to hold one another accountable. And, and there may be some who are sitting here uh, who, you know, like I said, the, the membership class is even on your radar. It's no big deal to you. Well, I hope after this morning it will be a big deal to you. And that she'll either say, you know what, I'm either going to join this church or I'm going to go find another church to join, but I'm not just going to sit here anymore, kind of just casually committed to this church. And so let's look at these reasons why every Christian should be a member of a local church. First of all is history, just, just the whole concept of history. And we have been studying in the book of Acts the history of the church, haven't we? And, and based on the pattern that we see in the book of Acts and, and, and really all throughout the New Testament, uh, in the early church, there was no such thing as a Christian who wasn't a member of a local assembly of believers. In other words, there was no believers who were, who were just kind of floating around loose out there, hopping from one church to another. And we've seen in the book of Acts, we've seen the, how the church was born uh, on the day of Pentecost and how it grew in Jerusalem and how persecution came and then it, then it scattered throughout Judea and Samaria and then it was even extended to the remotest part of the earth through the three missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul. And so as, as we look at the, at the book of Acts and we look at the, the rest of the New Testament, we see everything in the New Testament after uh, the book of Acts is, is all about the local church. And local churches, everything, just the whole New Testament rolls around local churches. And you have all these letters to churches, to the church in Corinth, to the church in Thessaloniki, to the church in Galatia, to the church in Ephesus. Um, you have all these churches. You have, you have uh, and, the, and the letters that uh, aren't written directly to churches, they're written to guys who are pastoring churches, Timothy, Titus, or someone who was hosting the, the church in Colossae in their home, Philemon. And then you have the book of Revelation. starts off with, with, with the seven churches of Asia, right? And, and Ephesus and Thyatira and Laodicea and Pergamum and, and all those churches. And so, so you see all these letters to churches or, or to leaders of churches or to hosts of churches. So it's all about churches in specific locations. And then you've all not only got letters to churches, you've got these things called letters of commendation, 
Are you familiar with letters of commendation? If you're a Baptist, you are. Why are we picking on Baptists today? But, but this is the good thing. Uh, in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, verse 1, Paul mentions this thing called a letter of commendation. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need as some letters of commendation to you or from you? And uh, it, was, it was customary in those days that when, when, when someone would go from one church to, the other, to another church, they would uh, have a letter of commendation that they would carry with them from their former pastor to their new pastor. And uh, we, we see this uh, clearly in Romans chapter 16 at the end of this uh, great letter to the church and to the believers in Rome, to the church in Rome. Uh, Paul says this in Romans 16, verse 1. He says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church, which is at Sancria, that you receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints, and that you help her in whatever matter she may have need of you, for she herself has also been a helper of many and of myself as well. And so in, in a sense, this, this last chapter served, or at least these two verses, served as a letter of commendation for, for this, this, this deaconess, Phoebe, who served in the church in Sancria, and she apparently was moving to Rome. And so Paul was commending her and saying, hey, listen, she served us so well here, not just me, but other people at this church, and uh, here she comes, and you need to uh, welcome her with open arms and, and put her to work, because she's a faithful st- servant of the Lord. And so uh, I have a, a little file uh, in my office where I have some letters of commendation that have been given to me uh, from some of you that, that uh, transferred your membership from uh, the Baptist church you were going to to Lakeside Bible Church. I mean, it's very customary in, in lots of Baptist churches, uh, especially when you transfer from one Baptist church to another, is, is you transfer your letter, right? You, you're familiar with that expression? Well, I'm, gonna, I'm moving my letter. Well, what does that mean? Well, it's this letter of commendation that a pastor will write and say, hey, I just want you to know this person has been a faithful member of our church, and this is who they are, this is what they do, they've been a blessing to us, they're going to be a blessing to you, and uh, sign it up, seal it, and send it off, and uh, kind of to let them know who this person is. And it's very helpful, I love that. Uh, churches working together with churches. And, and what that keeps from happening is people excuse me, sneaking out of churches, typically people who are in sin, sneaking out of churches. I'm not saying that everybody who leaves a church is in sin, but oftentimes when you begin to shepherd someone who is in a sinful, sinful situation, oftentimes we'll say, oh, I'm not a member of the church anymore. I've had it happen all too many times. I'm, I'm, I'm revoking my membership. When the pressure, the heat's turned up, they, I'm not a member anymore. Can't touch me. And they slowly just kind of move away. They disappear and they pop up in some other church. And, and to the pastor and the people at the other church, they have no clue who this person is and that they're living in sin or that they're under some kind of church discipline in a previous church. And so this whole letter of commendation thing kind of keeps everybody honest, doesn't it? And it really protects the church um, from being infected with, with people who are coming in uh, who are not right with the Lord, but more importantly, it protects the sheep. It protects you. It protects me. That, that you can't just kind of say, I'm out of here and I'm going to go fly under the radar at some other church. No, we love you too much to let you do that, right? We're not just going to let you disappear and go, well, they left, you know, sayonara. Don't let the door hit you on the way out, right? No, we love you. We care about you. We want to pursue you and we will pursue you. 
And we have pursued certain people who have left our church and gone to another church, and we felt that there were some unresolved issues that, uh, that really was the reason why they left our church. And we felt like, you know what, this is not right to just kind of, you know, let them go unrestored. And so we have actually called other churches, other leadership teams, other pastors, and said, hey, we just need to make you aware of this individual who's in your church, and this is kind of why they're there, and uh, we, we feel a re- responsibility to just inform you of that, and if you would please work with us to restore them to a right relationship with God and a right relationship with the church. And it doesn't matter if they stay at your church. That's not the issue. The issue is we want to help them be right with the Lord. And so, again, this whole history concept is so vital to understanding what we should be like today in the church. Secondly is this idea of responsibility. Responsibility. And turn to Hebrews chapter 10, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. And I think this is as close as the Bible comes to directly saying that if you're not regularly involved, plugged in to a local church, you are in sin. Okay? Notice I didn't say you weren't a Christian. <laughs> I said you're in sin. Well, I didn't say that. God said that. Notice Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. He says, And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Not forsaking our own assembling together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. And we need to understand this is in the imperative tense. This is not a suggestion. This is not a good idea. This is a command. Consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some. In other words, we are commanded here to regularly get together with other believers in the context of the local church. And so again, you could say this from Scripture, based on Scripture, that if if someone is um, not regularly involved in a local church um, because of a choice they're making, not because of some physical ailment or, you know, that kind of thing, obviously keeping that open, they're in sin. They're, they're disobeying a clear command of Scripture to, to be regularly getting together to encourage one another. And, 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 and again, let's not miss the point of why this command is here. It's not just because God expects to see you all in church every Sunday morning, right? It's so that you can encourage one another, that you can encourage and you could be encouraged. And, and this really... Uh, brings out this whole concept of the one another's in Scripture. You're familiar with the one another's? There's some 40 times in the New Testament that it talks about one another. Pray for one another. Love one another. Admonish one another. Rejoice with one another. Weep with one another. Show hospitality to one another. Be devoted to one another. How, how, How can you do all these one another's if you're never around one another, right? And so we have a biblical responsibility to one another, one another. And it's impossible for us to to, to be faithful to fulfill this duty to one another if we never spend time with one another. And so, again, this responsibility aspect is critical. And and, and unfortunately, there's just too many spiritual hitchhikers out there, right? They, they They want the free ride, right, without the responsibility. 
without the car payment and without the insurance and not, not the gas, and, and they don't want the hassle, they don't, they don't want the accountability, and they're just looking for a free ride. And so they just come and they sit and they never engage one another, someone else, and they never encourage someone else, and they never uh, are encouraged themselves because they keep everybody at arm's length. And so we have a responsibility. Thirdly, there's this idea of commonality, this idea of commonality. And if, if you go back to Acts chapter 2, a passage that we have studied through, a very familiar passage, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, Luke gives a, a, a vivid description of the early church and, and what it looked like, what it felt like. And, 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 and just as I read these verses, tell me how it makes you feel. What is, the, what is the essence of what, what uh, Luke is describing here? Verse 42, Acts 2.42, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. And day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And so what do you see in those verses? Do you see the togetherness, right? The, the oneness? I think that is the main emphasis of Luke here in these verses. And this is what we know as fellowship, koinonia in the Greek language, which simply means a sharing in common. And what is it that we share in common as believers? Or, or who is it that we share in common as believers? It's Christ, Jesus Christ. That's what brings us together or who brings us together. Not the fact that we're you know, Texans, or, or not because we, you know, we like the, the Astros, or not because we live in Lake Conroe, and we all like to fish or hunt, or jet ski, or water ski, or who knows what you like to do, and, and that's somehow our commonality uh, is here because we live kind of north of Houston in this community. No, that's not our commonality. Our commonality is Christ. And see, true fellowship involves building deep, rich friendships with other like-minded believers. That's true fellowship. And uh, unfortunately, the world doesn't even know about this thing called fellowship. They, 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 don't, they can't enjoy fellowship. All they can do is socialize. That's all the world can do. They can just socialize, talk about sports, talk about weather, talk about what they had for dinner last night, or talk about the, new, the latest restaurant, or who knows what. They can just socialize, right? Nothing spiritual at all about socializing. That's why we have to be careful, you know, just because we are standing over by the coffee pot talking about stuff, uh, or we're here at the, at the fellowship supper, right, just talking about stuff, that's not necessarily, fe not ne necessarily fellowship. You say, well, why do you call it a fellowship supper? Well, it's just a context where fellowship can take place, and it's up to you to make that take place. In other words, you, you might start talking about the weather and the kids and the school and your jobs and stuff like that, but ultimately you want to relate all these things to Christ and get that conversation down to a deeper, more spiritual level. That's true fellowship. Drinking a cup of coffee and popping some donut holes is not fellowship, okay? So get it beyond that and, uh, and use that as a context to talk about your 
your, your spiritual lives and your relationship with Jesus Christ. So there's this commonality of, of, of believers, this fellowship that we enjoy that, that, again, implies that we want to be together. It's just like this magnet that just draws us together uh, out of this community, this, this person of Christ. And because we have Christ in common, we, we, we just want to spend time together talking about Christ and the Lord and how he's working in our lives. There's a fourth reason, and that's identity. This whole idea of identity, I think, implies that, that we should be a, a member of a church. Mark chapter 8, verse 38, a very familiar passage. Jesus said, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. In other words, Jesus is going to treat us just like we treat him. And if we're ashamed to associate with him, he's going to be, quote-unquote, ashamed to associate with us. And if we say, well, I, I don't really know him um, because you're somehow embarrassed to associate with, with Christ or other believers, and he'll say, guess what? I don't know you. Depart from me, I never knew you, is what you'll hear. And so all that being said, I think the, the simplest and most effective way and the clearest way to identify yourself with Christ and to show that you're not ashamed of Christ or, or his followers is to be a part of a church. And really, coming to Christ is coming to church. I mean, the idea of experiencing salvation and not publicly identifying with the body of Christ is a foreign concept to the New Testament. I mean, when individuals got saved... In, in, the, in the New Testament, they were immediately baptized, and they were immediately added to the church. It's not like they, they, they got saved, and they got baptized, and boom, they never saw them again, right? Which happens at too many times on some big crusades and things like that. But see, whenever you show up to this church, I mean, the whole process of getting here to showing up here, uh, it, it shows whose side you're on. It shows whose team you're on. It shows... Uh, that you are part of the body of Christ, where you stand. I mean, when you, when you kind of walk out in your driveway or back out of your driveway and people kind of see how you're dressed on Sunday morning, a little bit more dressed up than the guy who's walking, shuffling out with his slippers and his bathrobe and his cup of coffee, getting his paper, right? Uh, you're making a statement that you're not ashamed. You're on your way to church. Why? Because you're a Christian, and that's what you do on Sunday. You give the Lord his day. And you're acknowledging quietly. You don't have to yell out, hey, I'm going to church, check me out. I'm identifying with Christ. No, you are identifying Christ without saying a word. And you're acknowledging that God is your father and that you are part of his family, right? Isn't that what 1 Timothy 3.15 talks about, how the church is God's house, God's family? And so you're saying, hey, I'm, I'm one of his kids and I'm going to his house. And so really the outward visible sign that, that we belong to the invisible body of Christ is our active membership in a local church. Do you, do you understand the difference between the, the invisible church and the visible church? The invisible church is all the believers all over the world. And, 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 and you don't know who they are. You walk into Walmart and you're walking by people and you have no idea whether or not, whether or not they're a Christian. That's the invisible body of Christ. They're out there. 
But then all of a sudden you show up at church and you're like, hey, how you doing? Hey, I saw it. Weren't you in the checkout line at Walmart? And, 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 and why? Because the church, a local church, flushes out the invisible body of Christ. And it becomes the visible. Now I can see it. No longer, you're not, you're not invisible anymore. I can see you. You're a believer. You're a fellow Christian. And so it's this idea of identity. Number five is, 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 is a very important issue, and that is one of authority. One of authority. And this is, this is unfortunately something that rubs a lot of people wrong in our day and age of anti-authority. Everybody, you know, we live in a day and age where it, it's cool to question authority. And, uh, and, and nobody likes authority. Nobody wants authority. But, hey, bottom line is God ordained authority to be uh, an integral part of this universe. It's, it's here, and there's nothing you can do to get around it. I mean, God is the one who has authority over all things, and he has placed certain individuals in authority over governments and over families and over children, uh, over husbands, over wives, uh, uh, you know, policemen, government over, uh, um, what do you call it, citizens, right? Um, and elders over uh, members of a church, that's just the way it is. And, and, and see, I think this whole authority thing is, is, is often uh, construed, misconstrued in churches today. Most churches are, are, are led either by a monarchy, which is the, the pastor's the king, right? And what he says goes, the buck stops with him. Or a democracy, the other opposite end of the extreme, where, where everybody gets a say in the matter, right? The church gets the, the congregation, gets the final say. And we, we do it with our vote, Right? And the, the majority rules, and hey, we're Americans, and that sounds great, and we love that, and uh, to have our vote. Well, listen, that is not in the scriptures. Neither of those models, the monarchy or the democracy, you cannot find in the New Testament. The model you see in the New Testament is that of a plurality of godly men called elders, elder rule. And you see that in, in Acts twenty twenty eight, where it talks about how God has uh, made you overseers to shepherd the flock of God. Uh, we see it in 1 Peter chapter 5. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 5 talks about uh, elders, and Peter is writing to his fellow elders, and he describes the role of an elder in, this, in these terms. He says, he says this in 1, 1 Peter chapter 5. He says, Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And then I love Hebrews 13, 17. Hebrews 13, 17, it says this, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. And so how can elders, how can you make it less of a burden for elders to, to, to watch over your, your soul? Well, very simply is you say, excuse me, I want you to shepherd my soul. I want you to watch over my soul, and I'm entrusting my soul to you. Well, how do you do that? 
Well, you do that through membership in a church, and that's in essence what you're saying. When you fill out an application and you say, I've read the doctrinal statement and I've read uh, the bylaws and I understand how this church is, it functions and it, that it's committed to the Word of God and the elders are in place to shepherd the flock of God and to make sure that we're all living according to the principles of God's Word and that if, if, if someone gets out of line, it, it's the elder's responsibility to go to them and to shepherd them and to rescue that sheep who has wandered away. And so you're saying, listen, I want to be shepherded. I need protection because I have a tendency to wander off. Uh, and so I'm, I'm putting myself under your authority to watch over my soul. And so again, it, it, makes, it makes our job as elders so much easier when people willingly place themselves under the authority and entrust themselves to our care. It just helps to know who's part of the flock. And so basically you're saying, hey, sign me up. I'm one of the sheep here, okay? I want you to look, uh, who's got my back? I want you to have my back here. I want you to be looking out for me. If I don't show up some week and I'm off over, you know, dinking around in this, you know, field I shouldn't be in, I want you to come after me, right? Or if I'm over there drinking something from this cesspool that's going to make me sick, I want you to come and tell me, hey, that's not good to drink out of here. Let's come over here and there's some fresh water. And so there's a whole idea of authority that you place yourself under the authority of a local body of elders. And that leads us to the sixth idea of accountability, of accountability, which is closely related, and that, that is simply this idea, Galatians 6.1, uh, if, if you see a brother overtaken in a fault, you who are spiritual, what? Restore them in the spirit of gentleness, looking to yourself, lest you to be tempted. So there's this idea of, of that if you see a brother or a sister in Christ who has fallen into some kind of sin, they're living in some uh, habitual pattern of sin, then, then you need to go and restore them. And, and, and you do it gently, and you do it humbly. And uh, Jesus gave us some very specific um, steps to follow uh, to restore someone to a right relationship with God, right relationship with their spouse, right relationship with their parents, right relationship with their brothers and sisters in Christ, whatever the, the, the sinful issue is, happens to be. And, uh, and so here we have in Matthew 18... The, the steps of church discipline. Really, you could call them the church, the steps of restoration. You know, discipline sounds kind of heavy-handed, you know, although the scripture is very clear that God disciplines those he loves, right? Hebrews chapter 12, it's a great concept. When your kid disobeys and, and, and kind of goes outside the circle of blessing, what is the means that God has ordained to bring them back into the fold? The rod, right? And reproof, discipline. And so it's the same way with us as a, as a church family. When we wander away outside of the circle of God's blessing, what is the means that God has ordained to bring us back? It's discipline. And so it says, if your brother sins, you go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you've won your brother. If he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Now listen, none of that makes any sense and in fact is impossible to do if you don't have an official church membership. How can you do this if you don't know who's part of the flock? And so it's very difficult to, to restore someone or discipline someone who has this informal relationship with your church. And, 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 and frankly, I, I think that that is 
probably why, if I was to guess, survey says, number one reason why people remain casually committed to the church and they just date the church rather than marry the church is because they don't want the accountability. They want to be able to come to church and be able to check it off and kind of feel somewhat good about themselves that they're coming to church, but they want to also be able to maintain their, their, their sinful lifestyle or their, at least their life of compromise or apathy or indifference. They want to continue to live uh, in their sin or the way they're living. And so they kind of keep the church at an arm's length and they don't ever get really committed because they're not that serious about their relationship with Christ. And so listen, any, any of us who, who knows the pr- propensity of our own heart to be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin and to fall away from the Lord, right? Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love, right? Is that an expression of your heart? It's an expression of my heart. And so if we know this, then we will want to protect us, uh, protect ourselves and ensure that we will be held accountable by a group of fellow believers. That we need one another. And so there's this accountability. And how can you be accountable when you're not truly committed to a church? It's, it's very difficult to be held accountable. And, and bottom line, you're only as accountable as you want to be. Well, there's the idea of unity, the seventh reason here that I give for why you should be a member of a local church, and, and, and we know that Jesus himself was passionate about the unity of his followers. And in the high priestly prayer in John 17, he said this, he prayed this, he said, I do not ask on behalf of those of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you. Verse 22, the glory which you have given me, I have given to them, and they may, that they may be one, just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. Paul picked up this mantle of unity in, in the book of Philippians, and he said, he, he, he exhorted the church in Philippi to be of one mind, one heart, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And so the the idea here is that we can make a far greater impact on this world with the gospel when we work together rather than alone. And instead of all of us just kind of being out there on our own, you know, one individual, one family trying to reach out to, to this community with the gospel of Christ, why not join forces and have an army of people where you can be equipped and you can get resources to go out and we can work together. I tell you what, we're going to be much more successful at reaching this community together than we are all by ourselves. And it's like the difference between you know, one candle in the middle of a, of a dark room as opposed to 150 candles, 150 families, right, here at Lakeside, and how bright that room becomes. And so this idea of unity. Then there's the idea of ministry. And I don't need to go into this in any depth. Adam preached a great message when I was in India on, on 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10, 10 and 11, about how all of us have been given a spiritual gift for a purpose, and that is to serve ourselves. Just want to make sure you're listening, okay? No, God gave us that spiritual gift to serve the church, to serve one another, so that the church would be built up. And so I think many spiritual gifts that, that the Spirit has given 
to believers go to waste because those believers never get plugged in uh, into, into, into a church, and they never minister in the church. And so not only do they suffer, not only are they missing out on a blessing that they could get by serving and using their spiritual gift, but also there's a church out there who is missing out as well from a vital gift that God gave someone and, and, and they need, and yet they don't have because you don't get plugged in. And see, many ministry opportunities are rightfully reserved for those people who are members. I mean, you don't just throw somebody into some ministry when they're not, they haven't demonstrated their commitment to the church yet, right? How do you demonstrate your commitment to the church? You join the church. And like, okay, now we know you're committed. We, now we know you're like-minded. And hey, sky's the limit. You go for it. Where do you want to serve, right? But before that happens, we have to be careful. We have to be wise and discerning and not just thrust people into ministry when we don't know their commitment level. And so this idea of ministry, again, implies that you need to be a part of a local church. And then there's this maturity, this issue of maturity. Maturity. And uh, Ephesians chapter 4 says it says it so well, and again, a very familiar passage. Just listen to it as I read. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, Paul says, God gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. I mean, you get the big picture here? This is where we're headed. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. That describes a person that's not committed to the local church, who's not vitally linked together and tied into the body. Man, you're just getting blown and tossed and kicked around by all the stuff that's out there in the world. He says, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Bottom line is this, listen up. You cannot grow to maturity in Christ apart from the body of Christ. Not gonna happen. God has designed that our spiritual growth and maturity is inseparably linked. It's, it's divinely connected with everyone else who's sitting around you. That we don't just grow on our own. We grow together. And I need you to grow. And you need me to grow. And you need each other to grow. We all need each other to grow. Why? Because someone might be a hand, someone else might be a foot, an eye, an ear, a nose, a mouth, right? We all work together in the same way God designed the parts of our human body to function in dependence on one another. He's designed the parts of the body of Christ to to function in dependence on one another. And, And no part of our body, physical body, can thrive by itself. You cut the arm off, throw it out there, it is not gonna survive. It is gonna die. And so in the same way, no part of the body of Christ can thrive by itself. It needs the rest of the body to grow. And if you are not regularly plugged in, vitally connected with a local body of believers, you are stunting your growth. And you'll never become all that God wants you to be. And that's what I meant earlier when I said, it's not that you, you're a bad Christian because you don't go to church. No, 
you don't go to church and that makes you a bad Christian. <laughs> Why is that? Because you're not growing. You're not maturing. You're not benefiting from the body of Christ. And then lastly is this idea of loyalty. Loyalty. And I'm talking about the loyalty and the love that we should have towards the church of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also, what? Loved the church and gave himself up for her. In Acts 20, 28, it says that Christ purchased the church with his blood. It doesn't get any more loyal. It doesn't get any more loving than that, right? Greater love has no man than this than one who will give his life, lay down his life for another. And so Jesus Christ demonstrated the greatest degree of love by dying for his bride. In spite of her spots and wrinkles, that even while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And so the logic is simply this. If, our, if the goal of the Christian life is to become as much like Christ as possible, then one of the things that means is that we should have the same commitment to the church as Christ does, that we should have the same love for the body of Christ as he does. And we should demonstrate the same loyal love to the church by giving our lives, maybe not spilling our blood, but maybe writing a check or rolling up your sleeves and getting involved in some ministry that's hard or giving of your time and giving of your talents that you give your your lives to the church because you love the church. I love the example that Josh Harris uses in his book, Stop Dating the Church, and he, he, he draws the comparison between living together and being married, which we all unfortunately know more about than we should because that is very common in our, in our society today that, that many people are choosing just to live together rather than actually getting committed and getting married. And so suppose a man tells a woman that he loves her and he has the desire to date, or he doesn't have a desire to date anybody else that he's solely committed to this one gal. And so for 10 years, he lives with her, and yet he never marries her. And uh, he says all these nice things about her. He does all these nice things for her. And yet I would submit to you, and ladies, you can probably know this better than us knucklehead guys, okay? That lady has every reason to question his love and commitment until he proposes to her, and he actually puts a ring on her finger and marries her. Wouldn't you agree, ladies? She has every right to question that guy's commitment. I don't care how committed he says he is. I don't care how committed he looks, okay, until he's willing to put that ring on her finger and walk down that aisle and promise that he's going to love her till death do they part, right? She's got reason to question if he's really committed. And I think the same thing applies to those who are content to live with a particular church. And they may attend for years faithfully. Uh, but for whatever reason, they never become a member. And it, it doesn't matter all the nice things they say about the church or all the nice things they do for the church. And if, if someone truly loves a church and they think it is a biblically faithful ministry that's worthy of their loyalty, then it deserves their wholehearted commitment as a member. They need to marry the church. 
You say, whoa, that sounds like really serious. Like marriage, you're, you're equating marriage, the commitment of marriage, the commitment of joining a church. Yeah, I am. And you say, well, how, why do you do that? Well, help me understand Ephesians chapter 5, when Paul was talking about marriage and husbands and wives, and then he says, I'm not really talking about husbands and wives, I'm talking about Christ and the church. So it's Paul and, and the Spirit of God that makes the analogy. He connects marriage with the church, and the same dynamic that is going on in marriage should be going on in the church. And I don't know about you, but that just kind of ramps up the whole commitment level of, of being a member of a local church, right? And instead of this, I'm going to join this church, and oh, after three months, I don't really care anymore, and you know, I'm going to go to this other church, and, and you just kind of jump from church to church to church, and you join, you join all these churches, man, you're, it's like you're, you're getting divorced. And so you need to be very sure when it comes to joining a church that this is the right church. Because in many ways, obviously, if, unless the Lord moves you away and you get a job transfer or something like this, it's a death until death do you part type of commitment. That as long as I'm here in this local community, this is the church that I'm going to commit to. And, uh, and I think you have to have biblical grounds for divorcing your church. I really do. Uh, I mean, in other words, there's too many people that just kind of up and leave a church without any biblical grounds. And, 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 I, and I've, I've had these conversations with people, and, they, and they've just said, hey, I've got the call. Hey, we're not going to come anymore. We're going to go to this other church. And I said, listen, can you show me in the Bible why you're leaving? Is, is there some, in some way that we have violated the scriptures that has compelled you to go somewhere else? And listen, if we do, if we ever violate the scriptures, whether through our lifestyle or through our, our teaching, you have every right. Those are biblical grounds to leave a church. When the leadership is no longer qualified, or they begin to teach false doctrine, or go off in a, in a philosophical direction that doesn't line up with Scripture, those, in my mind, are biblical grounds to leave a church. But other than that, guess what? What do you do in marriage? When things get tough, or you get offended, or, or your spouse hurts your feelings, or they don't reach out to you the way you want them to, and so you feel hurt, and what do you do? Say, that's it, I'm divorcing you. What do you do? You work it out. Amen? You work it out. And it may be rocky there for a few days, a few months, uh, maybe even a few years, but you know what? You're committed. And I ain't going anywhere. And yeah, I'm hurt. And yeah, I'm offended. And yeah, this really bothers me about you. But you know what? I made a commitment to you. And you made a commitment to me. And so we're going to work it out. And uh, none of this default to the old, uh, uh, oh, well, you know, Paul and Barnabas, they had their falling out, and so they went their ways, and so we, there's a biblical justification for why we just couldn't get along. I'm not buying it, and neither should you. And again, I'm not making anybody feel, I don't want anybody to feel like, oh, I feel so trapped. Oh, it's just getting hot in here. I can't get out of this church. I can't leave. I'm trapped. I'm a prisoner in this church. I don't want you to feel that way. I want you to feel relieved. I want you to feel refreshed. I want you to feel excited and go, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. I want that kind of commitment. I want that kind of commitment from my heart to this church, and I want this kind of commitment from this church to my, to my life. And see, I think some people are just, uh, you know, kind of waiting around for the perfect church, like the perfect wife, right? 
the perfect bride, the perfect husband. Well, let's just be honest. There is no such thing as a perfect church. And if you find one, don't join it because it won't be anymore. Because you'll be there. And listen, you don't have to look very far or very long at this church to find its imperfections. We are not a perfect church. I think we do a few things well, but there's, a, there's some other things that we, we have some work to do. We, we've got areas that we need to grow and develop and mature, and we're not where we need to be yet. We're not all that God wants us to be yet. But I think mature believers understand that, and they love God's church anyway, even though it has spots and wrinkles. And, and yeah, go ahead, go to another church. But it's only going to be a matter of weeks, months, years before you see their spots and wrinkles too, and you're going to be off looking for another church. Let me read for you from Spurgeon again, because he always just has a way of saying it just right. He said this, give yourself to the church. You that are members of the church have not found it perfect. And I hope that you feel almost glad that you've not. If I'd ever joined a church till I had found one that, that was perfect, I should have never joined one at all. And the moment I did join it, if I had found one, I should have spoiled it. For it would not have been a perfect church after I had become a member of it. Still, imperfect as it is, the church is the dearest place on earth. Do you feel that way? That in spite of all of its imperfections and all the hassles and problems sometimes that go along with being a part of a body, the body of Christ, man, it is the most precious thing. It is the dearest place on earth. And I would hope that we would have a, a group of people that are mature enough to, to realize, you know what, hey, we aren't perfect. We don't have a perfect pastor. We don't have a perfect pastor's family. We don't have a perfect you know, group of elders, we don't have a perfect group of grow group leaders, we don't have a perfect group of uh, Sunday school teachers and, 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 and perfect youth ministry staff, and we don't have a perfect group of uh, members here at the church, and, and, and guess what? We're going to sin against each other. But nevertheless, I wouldn't trade this place for the world. Not Lakeside Bible Church, the church of Jesus Christ, whether it's here or somewhere else. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for giving us the church. And, and Lord, we are sorry that we take it for granted. We just, just come and, and, and we just forget how awesome this thing is that you've provided for us to, to grow together into the image of Jesus Christ. And Lord, forgive us for so, so many times and in many ways messing it up and just, just tarnishing the bride of Christ by just being petty and immature and, and, and just uh, getting offended and not resolving conflict and, and uh, not working hard at, at being right with one another and being honest and transparent and humble and receptive. And Lord, I just pray that you would just increase the, the commitment level of all of us, not so much to this particular local church, but just to the church in general. And Lord, I know that'll just come out in this local church. But Lord, we want to be as committed to the church as Christ is committed. And so help us to do that in his name. We pray in Jesus' name.